Uh, Galatians chapter 1, we are in week 3 of Galatians. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church. He's challenging this church to believe the true gospel and not be led astray by all these different things that are coming into the life of the church. The people are believing that they've got to work their way to earn God's favor. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture. I'm going to read, I think it'll help give us uh, really the, um, you can hear the heart of Paul. Rather than just taking the next chunk of verses we're going to be in, I want to read one all the way through 24, I believe it is. And I think in that we sort of hear uh, what Paul's getting at in the argument that he's sort of forming and the way that he's talking about it, I think is important to us. So it's a big chunk and then we'll dive in. Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. (coughs) Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, And I remained with him for 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to some regions of Syria and Sicily, and I was still unknown to the persons of the church of Judea and in Christ. And they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, what are we discovering here in Galatians? 
What, are, what is God teaching us here? Thus far, we've seen that our life together as a church, our life together as individuals is not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's Galatians 1.1, right at the get-go. So what this tells us, what we've been learning is that you and I, right here in this space, in this church, the fact that God gathers together a family of God is an ongoing miracle of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives right now. What we're getting to do together is the grace of God in our lives, is the grace of God in our lives. What else are we discovering as, we were, as we've been studying this? Well, we're seeing that this grace that the Lord Jesus reveals to us and how he saves us is uh, we're seeing that even the faith of our parents is, will not suffice for us today. Just because mom and dad were Christians doesn't mean necessarily that we're Christians. That's not enough. In fact, what we're gonna see here, what Paul is saying is that our faith from yesterday, all this bank on what I heard yesterday will not suffice for us today. We need Jesus now and today and in every moment and in every present reality of our lives. That's why Paul is saying to this church and he's saying to you and I as a stark reminder, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's verse six. So I read this and it's, it's a warning bell for me. It's, it's telling me I'm five minutes away from deserting Christ. I'm one decision away from ruining my life. When I stray and I just, and I don't, and I don't, and I'm not anchored into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm just one decision away. I'm five minutes away from deserting him, turning my back on him. That's why John Stott, the great writer and theologian, wrote this Lash yourself to the reality of Christ like sailors in a stormy sea. We, in the world in which we live in today, right now, is a stormy, turbulent sea, and we are tossed to and fro. And Stott rightly says, lash yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cling to him at every moment. When we try to do it on our own, we try to figure it out on our own, guess what? We just start swaying over here to our own efforts and our own ways and our own agendas, and we stop clinging to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the grace in how he has saved us. So real Christianity that the Apostle Paul is pointing us to is real time, right now, every moment, dependence on Christ for more and more and more of his grace in our lives. That's what we need today. That's what I need today. That's what our church needs today. And so many of us, I think, maybe uh, we, we, we fumble into this type of thinking. Um, we fumble into this type of Use fumble because it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I want to be relevant. Um, I know, guys. Uh, yeah, I was, that, they teach you that at preacher school, <laughs> big time. Um, I think a lot of us think like this oftentimes. You know, I became a Christian a long, long time ago, and I've kind of got this figured out. Zach was just talking about it. I just, I know what to expect. I know, like. I'm gonna show up and this is gonna happen and I kind of know to do this and don't do this. <laughs> and so I'm saying all this stuff about not deserting the gospel of Lord Jesus. And you're like, well, I would never do that. I just kind of know what to do and I'm just doing it. 
if you are in that place, Christian, you are so close to deserting Jesus. The more you think you've got it figured out and you don't need him, the more prone you are to think, I don't need him at all because I've got this all worked out. I can just do it. I know what to expect. I know what to do. I know how to play the game. I know how to look like I'm doing it all right. Paul's saying, I'm amazed that you would even consider that. Maybe you thought, uh, you know, not only do I know how to do this, I'm actually pretty good at it. I don't do any of the bad stuff. I only try to do the good stuff. I only post about major spiritual victories on social media all the time, so everyone else thinks I'm really good at this, and I don't confess anything, and I I don't really have an ongoing dependence because I just sort of, I know what to do. I know how to do this. Um, But any Christianity, catch this, any Christianity that outgrows our need for Christ is not maturity, it's heresy. Any form of Christianity that outgrows an ongoing daily dependence for more of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to guide us and shape us and motivate us is not maturity. It is masquerading as maturity, but it's actually heresy, the Bible calls it. And you and I, church, are so prone to this. I am so prone to this. Um... And we can get there so quickly and so easily without even realizing it oftentimes. In fact, that's why Paul's writing this letter. These Christians in Galatia, in this church, had no idea it was happening to them. Right? I mean, this New Testament church, they've they've seen the miracles. They've witnessed so much of all that God has done and is doing. And they are falling prey to thinking, I don't need dependence on the Lord Jesus anymore. Paul had to tell them, you're deserting Christ. Um, It's so easy for us to corrupt our Christianity by outgrowing our need for Christ and think we're even better Christians uh, along the way for doing it. That's scary. Um, It is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to be caught up in the miraculous grace of God. That's verses one through five of Galatians. It is a wonderful thing to be reminded and caught up in the miraculous grace and the work of God. Paul's reminding at the very intro of this letter, those words I read moments ago, and it's really, really, really hard for us to keep our heads there. Verses six through 10. Verses one through five, it is amazing. The grace of the Lord Jesus is incredible. He's done it all for you. Verses six through 10, it's really hard for us to keep our heads there and to believe it and remember it, you and I included. That's where we've been so far. Today's verses, 11 through 24, they flow out of three words. The last three words in verses 11, verse 11, rather, says, not man's gospel, not man's gospel. The whole rest of the crux of this passage flow out of that idea. This is not man's gospel. Why are those words here? Why is the Apostle Paul writing these? Because the real gospel is counterintuitive. It is not what you expect. It is not what I expect to be in here. It is not, <clears throat> um, it is not normative to us. 
It is not what we feel comfortable with at all. It's not what I feel comfortable with. It's not what you feel comfortable with. Here's the message that makes sense to us. There was an old Saturday Night Live bit that went like this. If I were uh, really listening to preacher school, I would show the video, but I felt kind of weird about that because we don't usually do that. So I'm just gonna tell you. Um, it goes like this. Uh, he's a psychiatrist. Someone walks in. They need help with something. They're saying, okay, so what's going on? Uh, and they say, you know, I'm having struggles with this, that, and the other. And the, the counselor just looks at him. And the psychiatrist says, stop it. <laughs> it like startles a person. Just stop it, like yells at it, like yells at it like six times, and then says, okay, we're done here. That kind of makes sense to us. We like the world in which we, we just sort of, that reality is like, stop doing bad things. Stop messing up. Stop fumbling, stop failing. Start doing the right thing. Just do it. Figure it out and do it. Quit complaining, quit talking about it. Just stop already. That makes a lot of sense to really a lot of us. I feel that way sometimes about things in my own life. I'm sure you feel that way about some things in your own life. And I'm sure we feel that a lot more times about other people's lives. Right? I wish they would just stop it. It's really simple. That gospel makes a lot of sense to me. If they would just believe it like me and do it like me and figure it out like me, they would all get it and they would quit doing that and, quit li and start living like me and the world would be great and wonderful. We love that message. That makes sense to us. That's man's gospel, and it makes total sense. So long as we are in the kind of same group that we all kind of think like us and act like us and do like us and think like us, we can all just get along right there. But the message of divine grace says words like this. Jesus hanging on a cross, dying for the penalty of sin and death that you and I incurred upon him. He, he says and looks at you and looks at me and says, it is finished. Uh, words of the New Testament say things like, while you were still sinners, while you couldn't stop it, while you couldn't get your act together, while you were dead in your trespasses, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He showed up when you didn't get it, when you couldn't figure it out, when you were flat on your face. That's a miracle of divine grace. And we don't really understand that. That's why life is all about warring against it and not believing it and then believing it again and not believing it and believing it again. That's why as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for about four years, every single youth camp, every kid rededicated their life every single night to, the, to back to Jesus. <laughs> oh, I, oh, they're just like, I, I, you hear it and it's just like, what? That can't be true. I rededicate my life. I'm gonna burn all my CDs and remember when that was a thing? I'm gonna quit listening to the secular music. I rededicate my life to listen to KSP channel. <laughs> and it lasts 45 minutes after you get home. The message of divine grace, it is finished. That Zach said that Jesus would look at you even in your mess and that God would see righteousness because of Christ is not even a category for us. And so even in this attempts to rededicate and sprint to the front of the altar and, and do that again, those are all wonderful things that I, I know the Lord is. I'm making fun of it. But even in that is like, I want to I show him that I, that I really mean it this time. 
I gotta do that again, I gotta do that again, again, again. Yes, that's great. Let the Lord move, but the message is so counterintuitive. It is the gospel, the real true gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to undeserving sinners is a continual, everyday, huge adjustment to us. Massive adjustment. Christ is not what even you and I as Christians expect him to be. When you read this, he is not what we even expect him to be. When you read the Gospels, Jesus is literally with these guys. He's telling them all these things. Imagine all the other things he said that aren't written down. He's with them all the time. They constantly missed it. They constantly didn't get it. They were constantly failing, and they constantly misunderstood him because we believe in man's gospel. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a really big adjustment for us. Think of it this way. I heard it said this way, and I thought it was really helpful. I'm right-handed, um, and so that just sort of, I can throw a ball, I can write, I can do all the things right-handed. You just don't think about it. You're just, you're right-handed. You just, you know, you, if you're fish or you do all, it's just kind of like, you, that's just the, your natural arm. You don't have to think about it. But when you're pressed to do something left-handed, if you're right-handed or vice versa, the other way, it requires a lot of you. You have to like deliberately slow down. You have to deliberately think about what you're doing. It's like even just something as Elementary is like writing your name with your non-dominant hand feels weird. You're like, I don't even know how to start. Like, how do you, I have two kids that are left-handed and I don't know, I haven't taught them anything. So I'm like, I don't know, Ashley, you, I, I don't know how to like, how do they even begin? They're over here. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was told that I can't force them to be right-handed. So we just let the Lord do his thing with the left-handedness. But it's just like, it, it's unnatural to like do things with the left hand, right? I, I can't hurry and do it well. I have to think. Um, I have to really deliberately do these things. And so these words in verse 11, not man's gospel, uh, alert me to this reality. They alert me to this fact that the gospel is, um, so to speak, a left-handed message. It's not, it's just not going to be super easy for us to grasp, even if you've been doing it for a really, really, really long time. Maybe especially if you've been hearing it a really, really long time. I'm not sure. But when I start adjusting my, my thoughts and my heart and my reality to this gospel, this gospel way of thinking, the way that Jesus talks about it, the way the gospels are explaining it, uh, then every area of my life requires a deliberately slowing down and thinking about this, doesn't it? So our relationships become different because of the reality of the grid of the gospel. Our emotions become different. Uh, how we think about money, how we think about sex, how we think about work, how we think about leadership, how we think about management, how we think about recreation, everything adjusts because of this new reality. And it is not natural. I have to slow down. And I have to let the reality of this gospel, the gospel of grace, really do a work in us. Um, and I think it's okay to even think about it like this, that 
Um, the Christian life will never feel completely natural and obvious to us. I don't know, maybe, that, maybe I shouldn't say that, but that's kind of been my reality. Like I actually have to like, on my own, I just don't automatically live the gospel way. I have to like continually re-anchor my heart and mind back. And it's a continual adjustment. And it's a continual chipping away at my ego and my pride and just clinging to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these words are endlessly helpful. Not a man's gospel. Not man's gospel. Paul says this over and over again. So Paul's making that abundantly clear here in this introduction to this letter, right? This is, this is not man's gospel, it's God's, and it's a huge adjustment. But what he does next is really odd to me, how he structures this. I wouldn't have thought he would go here next. So I would have thought Paul would go into some brilliant apologetics, and he would say, well, here's what man's gospel is, and here's the true gospel of the Lord Jesus, and he would give us a nice chart, and then we could just live in it. But then we would go back to our own self-righteousness, wouldn't we? Because we love lists, and we love charts, and we love doing those. He doesn't really do that. He doesn't, he doesn't juxtapose them. He doesn't compare and contrast them. What he does next is really surprising, right? What he does next is like, why are you saying this? He tells us his own personal story next, he gives us his testimony. He's like, this is not man's gospel. And then he gives us a personal testimony. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He tells us about his conversion. He tells us about his ministry. He tells us about his relationships with other leaders and the apostles. He goes on and tells us where he went. How does this help us understand the gospel? Paul understands something, I think, really profound that um, the messenger of the gospel embodies the message of the gospel. Paul understood that he himself and what he did and how he talked and how he lived his life were a living argument that what he was saying was not man's gospel. In fact, he is kind of a living surprise of the realities of the gospel. Uh, because Paul's life represents this continuation of the counterintuitive grace of God. See, when we see the gospel in a person, when we see it, we can sort of like, oh, okay. We can touch it, we can understand it. It's more than a mere argument. It's more than just a chart of accounts that sort of makes the math works out in the end. It's like a person living it. And Paul says this, he did not make himself into a Christian. The text says he was acted upon by God. That's what God does. Not in a way that he would have ever chosen. He wasn't even looking for it. He didn't even want it. The true gospel of God, not from men, leads us to a whole new reality and it gives us a whole new story. So, practical application for us here. Paul introduces the glorious realities of Jesus, talks about some things that are creeping up in the church that aren't, that are, that are contrary to the true gospel, and then he shares his personal testimony about how God saved him. God will give you opportunities to do that too, to share your personal testimony of where you've 
where he's moved in your life and how he saved you and what he's rescued you from and how he changed your world and how he redirected you, how he course corrected you and he will use it at the end when you get all the way down for his glory. That's the beauty of the stories that God gives to us. This morning, quickly, I'm almost done. I already used up almost all my time in my introduction. I'm gonna look at two things, how God saves us and how God uses us. One, how God saves us, verse 11 through 16. Paul says this, for I would have you known, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, there it is, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in my Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and he called me by the grace of God, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. Wow, what a story. How does God save us oftentimes? How does the gospel work in our reality? It works in a way that we would have never intended for ourselves. Uh, did you know, or I'm sure many of us know, that all the major world religions are connected to the Bible in some way? All of them. So Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, the three major world religions. They all have some relationship with the Bible, the book that we uh, look at and study every week here. Judaism claims the Old Testament, obviously. Islam quotes the Bible oftentimes, but doesn't believe its conclusions. And Christianity stands on the Old and New Testament together. And all of these religions, all of these world religions disagree about what the Bible makes uh, clear. And so this tells us something just real obvious when you just look at that, that, just that reality and that fact. It tells us this, that it is possible, and this is what Paul's getting at, to misread the Bible. Because all these other folks got real different conclusions, it is possible to misread the Bible and to believe your own man's gospel, as Paul put it, and not the true gospel, right? And we can read it, and we can get to conclusions like this if we're not careful. Uh, the Bible is a me message of uh, moralism and be a good person and do better and make the right decisions and, and try your best and try real hard. Do better, try harder. That's a, real, that's, a, that's a real popular message. Um, we can also read messages like this, that you know, you've gotta earn it, you've gotta earn your way. Uh, you have to deserve this grace that God offers to you because the almighty God above, this is, this is Islam, the almighty God above is not gonna bless you out of the goodness of his heart. You've gotta show him that you deserve it and you can earn it. The Christian gospel according to the Bible, according to Jesus and the Apostle Paul, is saying this, God will bless you in spite of what you deserve. Um, out of the very goodness of his heart found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Christian gospel. But it is very possible, if we're not careful, to build our lives uh, on a religion that is man's gospel and find a few verses to support it and to stake a life and a claim on it. And we can be wrong. Um, that's scary. 
So here's man's gospel, and Paul's warring against it. Uh, we feel deeply we've got to get God's attention. We Christians think this way a lot, which is why Paul wrote Galatians, and which is why the Bible says things like this that combat that feeling. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should never perish but have eternal life. Belief, not work. Paul's own personal story proves the miracle of God's amazing grace. He says in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond anyone of my own age. He says, I was really good at man's gospel. I was really good at climbing the ladder. I was really good at all of these things. He was successful. He knew all the right things to say. He knew all the right people to get to know, and he was advancing. He was smarter than the next guy. He was at the top of his game, and Paul was in no mood to change. He was, he was going where he intended to go. But then what happened? Jesus showed up. God came to him. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's God's gospel. Look at Paul before all this. I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing. I was zealous. Verses 13 through 14. Look what happened after Jesus shows up in his story. Verses 15 through 16. He set me apart. He called me. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. God acted on him. God's mercy came and found him when he wasn't looking. God is able to reveal his son to your heart through the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, writes it this way. The gospel is revealing the son of God. God doing something, not do harder, try not try harder, do better. First by the external word of God, then by the working inwardly of the very spirit of God in us. He doesn't need you to deserve his mercy. God makes the first move because he is merciful. That's what makes it so wonderful. And once he gives his son to you, he never backs out. No matter how bad we fail and falter. Um, and we just get to throw ourselves down at his feet and worship him and do what we just did a minute ago, just sing worship songs to him because they match our heart to all that he's done in our lives. And we get to hear brothers and sisters singing about the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done. So then how does God use us? Second point, I've got one minute to wrap up my last four pages. Um, um, Paul then goes through all the stuff of all these people he visited and all that, the, all that the Lord was doing in and through him and how he went to this place and how he used to persecute the church and then all these people begin saying, look at what happened to this guy. They're like, they started hearing, he's the guy who used to persecute us and now he's preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And it says they glorified God because of Paul. Um, how does God want to use us? Here's a question 
I'll end here. Um, that I've been asking myself as I've been reading this, as I've been thinking about this, as I've been pondering uh, the story of the miracle of God's grace in my life, and as I've been reading the story of the miracle of God's grace and his gospel in Paul's life, is this question. It's a hard question, but I think it's worth considering. If I were an atheist, if I didn't believe any of this, how would that change what I'm doing right now? How would it change what I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if I just didn't believe at all? And if my being an atheist um, wouldn't make a difference in how I'm navigating my life in any given moment, then I've got to consider this that he, could, that he posed earlier, the very beginning of this chapter. I've got to consider the fact, have I deserted the one who has called me by his grace? is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, has it reoriented me in any shape, way, shape, or form? Like Paul writes about here. Has he redirected you? Has his grace crashed into our realities against our very own will sometimes? Like I, Paul wasn't looking for it. Has the grace of the Lord Jesus crashed down into your world and now you wake up and think the reality of the grace of God is now redirecting how I think about this, 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 and this. And it's causing a little bit of mayhem in your life because you wouldn't choose it, but you know it's good and you know it's right and you know it's true because God has called you to it. I think Paul's wanting us to consider those things because that's not man's gospel. That's the gospel of grace. We are found by Christ. We are converted by Christ. Uh, we grow by Christ and we serve by Christ. Where is he leading you? Where is he calling you? Where is he calling you to, to shift and turn and pivot and move toward him? And we do all of it and we serve and we love and we point to him all so that he would receive more and more and more glory. Let's pray together. Lord, <clears throat> um, we thank you, God, that your grace crashes in when we're not even looking for you. Um, God, I pray this morning that for all of us in this room, God, that we would turn from man's gospel of do better, try harder. God, take notice of me. And we, as children of God, would rest in the reality of the grace of the Lord Jesus, make, let that make massive inroads in our hearts and minds. Let the grace that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, come into our hearts, maybe for the first time in a long time, and let it produce in us something wonderful. Lord, the gospel is a big adjustment. Help us have open hearts and soft hearts to move and pivot and change where you are calling us. Help us to articulate the story of how you've changed us to those around us so that you would get glory. So more would come to know you. So more would be considered and counted into the family of God. We love you, Jesus. Do this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing to him, church.